Hello and welcome to episode 20, yes, episode 20 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning, gentlemen. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Hello, good morning. Last week, we were joined by the force of nature, better known as Hamish Gill from 35mmc.com. And I want to thank him again for being a great and thought-provoking guest, as well as congratulating him on not swearing. Now here in the Northern Hemisphere, the weather is picking up nicely and our thoughts are turning to travel. And more importantly, what gear are we going to take with us? But before we launch into that, here's Johnny with some feedback from last week's show. All right. Uh, so we had a lot of feedback from uh, our our conversation with Hamish um, in in the thread that we posted there on the Photography with Classic Lenses website, or I'm sorry, Facebook page. So you might want to take a look. Uh, so James Giordano uh, mentioned that um, he really enjoyed the episode, and he mentioned a lens that um, I don't know if it came up in the episode, but uh, it has come up certainly since then uh, via Hamish, which is the Lens Baby Burnside. Uh, I know that there's been a uh, recent review of that on 35mmc this week um, so that was discussed by uh, by James and Hamish a bit uh, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting um, and then also James mentioned that uh, he has an X, uh, Fuji X100 uh, which Hamish, Hamish mentioned in the episode um, I thought that was interesting too I have the same camera actually I have the X100S which is still uh, going strong knock on wood uh, Nelson Mullins said that he enjoyed the conversation and in particular the bit about the Sony a7R2 uh, and going through that and how it compared to uh, other cameras that he's had such as let's see so he remembers getting the EM5 uh, and talked about a couple things there. Uh, Geza said, Geza Singer, our admin and former uh, guest on the show, um, he thought that was a uh, particularly good conversation, especially when Hamish got ranting. So I think we all agree with that. That was a lot of fun. All right. We also had a question from James Thorpe at the classic lenses podcast at gmail.com uh, email, which was great to receive. Uh, so, so James said that he loved Hamish Palooza, uh, <laughs> which is a great way to refer to it. Um, and it, he had a couple nice things to say about uh, you know, 35 MMC being a great resource, which is nice. And then he said he had a question about the new Meyer optic lenses being created. Um, he was wondering what our perspective was on those since they are, um, as he said, wildly successful, but also seem uh, price exorbitant. Uh, I would maybe agree with that. Uh, his example being the new uh, <clears throat> Meyer optic uh, Lidith. 30 millimeter 3.5, which is $1,600 uh, for, for the new one, while originals, old school ones, are going for around 75 on eBay. So I <laughs> valid question there. Um, what do you guys think? Well, I, I think he's already used the word exorbitant, and I think I'm, I'm pretty much on the same same page as that. Actually, before I talk about that one, though, it, it, it's interesting that we, we now say Meyer Optic because before uh, Svetlana Belinsky was our guest, um, we all I think we all used to say Meyer Optic. <laughs> so uh, it's become Meyer Optic now uh, since uh, since Svetlana was on. Uh, it be interesting to see what uh, all the people say about that and that, that pronunciation. Oh, it's, so I'm curious. If you're, if you're, I think if you're from here, it's Meyer because, you know, it's like Oscar Meyer, which is, you know, hot dogs. 
okay. Okay. <laughs> so I always call it Meyer because the Oscar Meyer hot dog factory used to be here in Chicago and it's M E Y E R. Okay. Okay. Well, so that's another one I need to try and train my brain into, uh, in, into saying that way. Um, I'm not even going to try the other, the, other, the other things I can't say. It probably, it probably is mayor or something, you know, I mean, you figure, I don't know. So Simon, have you used that lens? Uh, the Lidith, yes. Um, How is, how is um, but not, uh, not, not many times. I mean, whether I've, I've actually got one as well at the moment, or I say I've got one, it's, it's at my camera repairman's uh, repair shop at the moment. It's just being, being cleaned up a little bit. Um, but from, from what I remember of it, it's a, it's a good lens. Um, it's another one of those lenses that sounds particularly uninspiring with it being just a, a 3.5. But you know, a thirty-five millimeter three point five isn't really a handicap, really, because it's it's going to be used more for. It's going to be a lens that you would generally use stop down anyway. It's it's not the kind of thing you're you're going to wanting to do uh, bokeh shots with. So, three point five for thirty mil lens should be absolutely fine. But yeah, from what I remember of it, it was a it was a good lens. But how on earth it could be priced up for a new one at sixteen hundred dollars? Is 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 beyond me, and I think is a is a general point to these these lenses, these these newly released versions of old lenses and their their prices. I, I think it it says everything when you look at how much they are when to buy these lenses secondhand. Uh, when you when you see them used on eBay, and the the, the prices on there, I haven't got them in front of me, but I've I've checked a couple of times in the past, and the the used prices are far lower, um, which is no surprise than the than the than the new price. Not just a little bit lower, but you know a fair chunk. So that suggests to me that um, yes, there, there may well be some kind of premium attached to them, but I think it's 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 pushing things too far. So that lens, I've looked on it at on eBay, and I think there's a zebra version, correct? Uh, could be, well, certainly the old uh, the old one uh, was certainly certainly a zebra. And when I look at it externally, it looks like uh, my Doma plan, but I presume it's a better quality lens and maybe it's metal, right? Not cheap plastic. Yeah, that's right. Okay, right. One of the things about these lenses, I wonder if it's true for that one also, is the performance changing drastically uh, between sensors because that Doma plan, which I bought for like $30, um, and this is about as cheap as you could get, produced bokeh bubbles that look like a trioplan on my em1 and i thought it was just marvelous and on my fuji it's just so so I, I can't get it to produce that kind of bokeh no matter what yeah well i think that's as much to do with 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 the, the crop helping it um because yep. it effectively becomes that 60 millimeter and you put that onto a helicoid as well so you can bring down that minimum focus down and i do yeah yeah and you can you can it's it makes it so much easier to actually get those 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 triplets uh yep. bokeh bubbles that you're, you're 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 trying to achieve and by going larger on your sensor um yep. you're you you would have to get closer to compensate so you'd have to put on more extension to replicate yes. the same angle of view and therefore get that much closer to your subject and therefore get your uh, get those bokeh bubbles back. So yeah, I'd imagine you could probably do it, but you pr you would need more extension to do that. Yeah. The other the other lenses, well, there's a few lenses that um, the new uh, Meyer Optic Company have uh, produced, 
Um, and I say new because I, I don't believe there's any connection at all apart from they've been made in in that area and they're using using the name um, because you've got the the triplan 50 uh, which is the 2.9 and they I'm pretty sure that yeah they made the, a new version of the 100 millimeter one as well didn't they so um, but all of them are really expensive I mean they're very nice don't, don't get me wrong I mean they've they they look beautifully made um, they they and for people that want something that's new, um, then, well, it's pretty much the only way you can actually do this kind of thing. Right. I don't know about you, Johnny. Uh, I just, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's just a, you know, it's just a brand name. It has, it's, there's so many, I, I guess I worked in branding for so long that it, you know, I, I always question anything that I see under a brand name, especially if it's a re revived brand name, because it's generally has nothing to do with the original, which is what's going on in this case. And I mean, you know, there are all sorts of photography names we talk about all the time that have really no relation to what they were originally. I mean, Voigtlander is one of them, you know, that just the names get go bought and sold their currency. Right. So anyway, it, 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 to me, I just, I don't, I kind of don't get it. I mean, I guess I do because it, in some ways, it might make sense to buy a really good clean copy of a lens you want that's newly manufactured, probably has better, you know, optics and coatings and everything. Um, I don't know. It kind of goes counter to the whole nature of shooting with classic lenses in a certain regard, too, though. You know what I mean? I, I, I think part of the what's interesting to me about them, and it's just a, a personal take on it, is that I, li I like that they're old and difficult. <laughs> so I don't know that I'd be as interested in the... New, uh, newly manufactured anything i i guess the one that i've thought about i, I kind of wish we had talked with maybe hamish a bit about it is the the newly uh manufactured jupiter 3 um because i i find the challenge i would love to have a, a cleaner copy than my sandsocked jupiter 3 but i i don't have the time or money to buy you know 12 of them till i get a good one and so I, at some point i'm like well Maybe it wouldn't be so bad to buy the the new one because it's not that crazy expensive, you know. It's price wise, it's pretty reasonable. Um, but I don't know. I I I I find it a little bit. I, I think buying a new newly manufactured version of you know like an old school lens like that. I don't know that it's it's it, to me it's not quite the same thing. Something's lost in translation. I think you've got a point though about the Jupiter three there. Uh, I have actually used that that lens. Yeah. Um, only, only for a very short period of time, and it was at, a, at the photography show, photography show in the UK about two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. so it was on the Lomography stand, um, and interestingly, I walked away with their um, their uh, demonstration fifty eight millimeter Petzval uh, that that came home with me, and the Jupiter three didn't. Um, I suppose because I guess I could have actually had one one or the other, but it was. Yeah, it was it was a new version of what I already had, and yeah. and it felt like that as well. Uh, but it didn't seem to actually give me anything extra than what I already had. Um, and yeah, there was a big difference between uh, that lens and what we're talking about with the with the Meyer optic lenses. Yeah, because there is a, a clear um, line through. Um, it's the same lens, effectively, just just produced again. But yeah, I, I did actually try. Um, I've mentioned this before. I did actually try the the, the Carl Zeiss 50 1.5 Sonar 
uh, for Leica M mounts pretty much immediately after trying the Jupiter 3 and it just felt like a different lens. It was quite almost radically different and uh, it's I must have fell in love with the thing when, when when I tried it. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. So I think if I was going to go newer with that particular kind of lens, then I'd probably try and save that a little bit more or a lot more um, for the for the Carl Zeiss version rather than going yeah. for the new Lomography version. Yeah, that's always. I mean, we've. I know we've talked a lot about that lens in the past. It's always been high up on my wish list for sure. That you know the the newer Carl Zeiss, but. Um, and I, you know that that's maybe a good a good take on it too, as it maybe alternate to what we just said is that you know it, a lens like that the the Carl Zeiss um, you know lenses that are made for uh, um, for Leica mount um, I mean they're really that that's a direct lineage same company right I mean it, yeah that that's all the same stuff rather than somebody kind of re you know pull, pulling out an old form and saying hey let's make this it's like they've got they it's like it's in their dna in a different way or something if that makes sense mm, completely it's interesting what you said about um jupiter 3 because it's back on the same thing about sample variation yeah <clears throat> and, and and in helios lenses we've we've seen it i must be really lucky because my jupiter 3 8 9 12 and 11 uh, all are perfect and, yeah, um, the they're, they're, per only, they're perfect on they're perfect on your digital camera. Perfect on my digital camera. The only one that, that, where I had to get a second one because the first one wasn't good was a nine. I had a nine that wasn't too great. But my Jupiter three is just it's a brilliant lens. I really I really like it, yeah. and um, it's been a lot of time searching for it. And Attila helped me to find one, and um, and it, it was expensive, a relatively expensive lens. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Right. Oh, <clears throat> shall we move on to the next one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we have also a great email that came in from Stephen W. Fry, Stephen F. Steve F. from Evanston, Illinois. So he's my homeboy here from just just up the road a little bit. Um, and he is saying he he's calling himself Rip Van photographer. Um, he thinks he's a bit older than we are, and uh, he he was an avid amateur. He says back in the late 70s and 80s and kind of fell asleep um, as a film photographer and woke up here in the digital world. So he had, he had a number of questions kind of related to that transition from uh, film to digital, which um, I think were pretty interesting. So maybe we can go down the list here on them and have a little conversation. This first one um, is when did DIN slash ASA become ISO? Um, which is a great question because it's actually uh, easy to answer, I guess. Uh, that the ISO standard, um, I looked this up. Thank you, Google. Uh, the ISO standard came came into place in 1974. So there's the answer on that one. <laughs> it's 1974, and it it does make a lot of sense because we had DIN slash ASA, but we also had the 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 GOST standard. You know, I, in from the Soviet Union, which if you find cameras marked in Gost, they kind of don't equate directly to anything. Um, so the ISO standard, the idea was that you know, International Organization for Standards (ISO) um, made it made it all relative. I guess I still say ASA a lot, but that's you know, film. That's I guess I'm thinking still film. So. I'm really surprised that that goes back that far. 
Uh, yeah. I took took photography up in the middle eighties, and it was it was still commonly ASA rather than ISO yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah. No, for yeah, for sure. I I never I never really thought about it. I guess until the digital stuff really started, and they, you know, the manufacturers were calling it ISO because ISO was really the standard. I it's almost like any kind of legacy term that people are attached to, they just don't use the new one. You know, yeah, kind, kind of like us idiots in the U.S. that don't use the metric system. We're just we've used <laughs> Imperial for so long <laughs> that it's just it is what it is. Um, yep. But yeah, I never, I never, call, I never heard anybody call it ISO until the digital era, really. Well, the other, the other thing is, you get people that will talk ISO for for digital, and then you, as soon as they start talking about film, they will say ASA. And, yeah. and I'm talking about people that haven't really got that back history. Yeah, yeah, well, I do that. Yeah. I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of kind of makes sense in a way, right? All right, on to the next one. Um, yeah. When, when did an electronic flash become a speed light? Um, I've always blamed this on Nikon because their speed lights are called speed lights. And I, 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 I'm not sure if anyone did it before them. Um, but I've always, I've always thought of that as a Nikon thing. Yeah. I've, that, that goes for me as well. Um, yeah. All right. Next well, that's on kind, the- of a, <laughs> kind of a sore subject for me now, having spent oh, two yeah. hours yesterday morning trying to use a speed light for the first time and thinking that I had done really well. And then, um, having you guys look at the images and just um, kind of trash them. I, I, no, I, I think it's wonderful that you've successfully created a on-camera pop-up flash fill. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's a better compliment than I've had this morning, so that, I'll take it. All right. Next. Next. All right. Next. When did focusing a lens become as difficult for photographers as driving stick is for a millennial? I don't. I don't know. All right, all right, baby boomer butthead. Don't be mean to millennials. I like millennials. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> no, I. I, I, I guess the answer come, is 1988 or 87 or so when uh, yeah. Minolta yeah. Uh, got autofocus right, and then Canon really got autofocus right. And mm-hmm. I mean that that affected me back in back in the day because I was a. I was a I had a Contax one five nine mm, and uh, they Canon launched the six fifty, and not long after that they launched the six twenty, uh, mm-hmm. and then I think it had eight thousandth of a, sh- a second shutter, which wow, that was uh, that was something I really fancied, and uh, at least I think it had anyway. It might have been a four thousand, and the six fifty might have been a two thousand. I don't know, but uh, I was I was impressed by it, and I tried it out, and I was I was blown away by it. And within two months of owning it, I traded it back in and went back to my old contacts again, uh, yeah. and I've wow. been that way ever since, really. I have I've, to tell you, John. You know, yeah. yesterday morning, um, I when I was doing this business, playing with a speedlight for the first time. I, I used my Jupiter 12, and I also used um, a dedicated autofocus lens on my Sony that a friend loaned me. And um, I missed a lot of the images with the Jupiter 12. It were, I, I just didn't get the focus. And, and I'm, I can focus pretty quick with manual focus lenses. I don't own an autofocus lens. And it made me wonder about 
you know, back in the day when there weren't autofocus lenses and photographers were taking shots, you know, what was their hit to miss ratio and what did it cost them with film? Because my friend Nicole was shooting digital and she was hitting everything, you know, dead on every time. And as soon as I switched over to that autofocus lens, I, you know, maybe well, the pictures didn't turn out good, but I didn't miss focus, you know. And yeah. uh, I guess if I was a pro, I um. So the answer I can kind of kind of say maybe is um scale focus because if you if you look at all the old uh at press photography from back in the day people they were using you know four by five cameras with flash bulbs and they were not focusing anything they were setting the camera up to f8 or f11 and they any appropriate shutter speed uh you know if you wanted if you wanted some background uh ambient light you'd have a lower shutter speed if you wanted to just have the subject in focus you'd have a you know higher to the limits of the flashbulb but you'd scale focus and you'd you'd blast a bunch of light and you'd have the subject basically in the right place and everything was sharp and if you look at old any pretty much any old press photo from i don't know you know pick a decade prior to you know they have in a digital they were done that way i mean you just yeah. scale focus and use a flash bulb and you got it all you know yeah yeah so all right next up um <clears throat> when did lenses start to render and have or produce micro contrast and what do these terms mean i i mean kind of always i don't i i guess maybe that term is relatively newer but not that new i i think um the the Leica and Zeiss people have been talking about micro contrast for quite a while as part of their, you know, def default language. I think. I. I think. Yep. I think. There's. It's certainly. It's. It's got a lot. I mean, I, I like like the um, Rip Van photographer that uh, sent this question. I've had a similar experience, and I. I pretty much left photography for 20 years and came came back to it and things had changed massively and all of a sudden mm. we were all interested in bokeh and things like that and and i think that's actually probably when we started talking more about rendering although back in the day you would talk about there was a look of a minolta lens or minolta yeah people who would say uh, yes i like the look of these lenses because uh it, oh sorry i like to look at shots taken with Minolta because they have a certain look and the same goes with Canon and Nikon and, and, and Zeiss and and certainly most famously Leica there was something called a Leica look mm -hmm. so so that's that's rendering and that's micro contrast but we, we right. obsess a lot more about it now because we're shooting at higher shutter speeds and we're shooting more for these out of focus backgrounds and and that's yeah. where we start to actually see the real character of a lens when a lens is, is wide open because as we know if you take anything down to f8 then they all pretty much look the same for a given focal length i mean there are going to be a few yeah. exceptions there but generally speaking they all do a very very similar job yeah well following on that question <laughs> leads us right into um to Stephen's next next question, which is, when did bokeh become a thing, and why do we care if it's swirly, round, soap bubbly, or shaped like Elvis's head? I I, <laughs> I want to say right out of the top that I found this week. I actually emailed it to myself so I would have it. I found I was uh, searching around on a forum or something, and I f I found this description by a man named uh, David Murray um, about bokeh, and he says many years ago. 
I knew a woman who was very religious. One drawback to this was her constant whining that the devil was mounting an attack on her. It got so bad that she had to be committed to a mental hospital. So with Boca, <laughs> people worry about the out-of-focus highlights that will be in their shots. However, the lens has such incredible depth focus you know, that set correctly stuff in the background will be in focus, hence no Boca. So it's like that story about Boca being <laughs> like a a crazy woman who's being attacked by the devil. <laughs> well, I guess we've already, we've covered that one with the previous answer, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Next up. Uh, yeah, we have uh, two or three more here. When did in post or place in the dark room? So I, I can just say quick on this. I remember vividly when I was interning for a photographer, a commercial photographer, um, back when I was in about, right about graduated from, from college, so this would been 1991, 92. I started hearing the term from art directors. Well, we'll fix it in Photoshop, which was, you know, <laughs> would drive photographers crazy. But I remember hearing it all the way back then when, you know, Photoshop was still a, in its infancy. But it, that that term, fix it in Photoshop, came along really quickly. And then I guess in post was the is like the 2.0 version of that. Yeah. Some some reason I got that connected with film, um, and video, and post production from 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 that side of things, and, and then yeah, it came, then it came over. I don't know if that's that's a, if there's any truth in that or not, but that's just where where my thought process process goes to. Yeah, I, I no, I think you're right because I mean post production has been a thing like for ages, you know. And, but it seems like the term in post, mm. I feel like followed on the heels of fix it in Photoshop. But I mean, you you might be right. I mean, people may have been saying, "We need, you know, we need, we need to ask Gaza." Yeah, Ga yeah. Gaza would be able to tell us when he first heard that term, because he's probably heard all the variations on that. So, Gaza, we need to we need to chat with you. And and James Giordano as well. Yeah, James too, with his dual background in video and and uh, film. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have to ask the old school experts is the answer. <laughs> Uh, all right, next up, um, let's see here. So the, these are kind of connected. I, I do them. I'll do that. These are the last two. I kind of want to do them at one time. Does anyone even dream about doing dye transfer anymore, if it is even possible? And next question was, whatever happened to Cibachrome, which was the big thing, uh, as I remember before I fell asleep in my photography. So um, I, I, I've, I don't know about dye transfer if anybody's doing it commercially i'm sure people are doing it uh still as kind of an art production thing um and i know that cibachrome died around 2012 which was a direct casualty of um the the digital uh the, the whole transition to digital for for color printing so so what is dye transfer i don't actually know what that is uh, it's basically a, a process where you use um color separated uh, films and kind of print them overlaid one at a time to make color gym images. If you look at like old, um, the old magazines from the fifties, especially like fashion magazines where the colors have this just really kind of particular look to it, to them. Um, those are all dye transfer and, and dye transfer probably from Kodachrome. So they have a really distinctive, Mm -hmm. um, color rendering to them. I mean, it just, you know, any, anybody out there on your own, just, just Google any old, you know, Google fashion magazine, 1950, whatever. And you'll find all sorts of, um, images that are, are 
dye transfer process. So it's it's a color reproduction process used for for print essentially, where in printing, you know, you need you have cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, which so the color spectrum gets broken into those four colors. That's how you do commercial printing. So dye transfer was a really easy way to to reproduce color from the RGB spectrum to the four color spectrum. Um, so I mean, you know, again, uh, digital printing um, had the ability to make uh, plates for printing you know, digitally and all that, it kind of just killed all that as a commercial process. And it didn't really have a life as a fine art process, you know, at that point, it never, it was never, I guess it was never really a, a, a big fine art process. Right. So if it exists now, it's really, it is as a fine art process, I would think. Um, but, but Cibachrome is entirely dead that that was completely discontinued by Ilford back in, I I'm thinking 2012. Superchrome was the printing of slides, wasn't it? Is that correct? Yeah, right. It was. Yeah, exactly. It was to. It was material that you could use to print. You know, uh, print slides out. There's also RA4, which is still around, but it was. It was. Uh, the, none of it looked like Cibachrome. Nothing looks like Cibachrome still to this day. I mean, it, I worked at, when I was in Boston. I worked in a lab that specialized in Cibachrome printing. I mean, they were like nationally known for their their Cibachrome work and. I mean, Cibachrome prints have a look to them that, you know, is, is really, really just amazing. Um, so it's, it's kind of sad that it went away because there just, there isn't anything as a reproduction method that looks like it now. Um, so it was, it was kind of like dye transfer. It was really a unique look that's uh, unfortunately kind of lost to time, I think here. So tell me if this makes sense. <clears throat> Pam's dad was a portrait photographer back in the 1950s through the 60s. And and early on, he was shooting black and whites. And we have a couple of his images framed, and they're, they're quite nice. And the story that he told was that his wife did a hand tinting of parts of the oh, images. Yeah. And you can even see it. Have you ever heard of that before? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're, can, they're really yeah. cool. She was quite proficient at it. Yeah, some some people are still do it. I mean, you can still get the materials to do it. It's basically you take a black and white photo and you you know add color to it. Um, yep. And yeah, some people are great at it. I mean, you literally have to do it with tiny brushes and stuff. Yep. Um, and done well, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that about wraps it up from from Steve. He did mention at the very end of his uh, list of questions that. Um, he misses Kodachrome, which leads right back into that conversation about dye transfer. I can see why he misses Kodachrome. Um, one more thing he says is, uh, tell Simon, please. He has the exact same a accent as Daphne on Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good, that's a good one. Well, she's, she's a, the, the accent is allegedly from Manchester. Or, uh, I think yeah, it's it's not, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I must admit, I've, I like. I like Fraser. I've, I've been watching reruns recently. And, uh, I can. I can never place her accent. It's. It's certainly a, a northern accent, a northern British accent, northern English accent. But they, I never really place it as Manchester as such. But I'm. I'm about. 35, 35 miles from Manchester, south of Manchester. So yeah, I'm. I'm not a million miles away from from that alleged accent. Huh. I I wonder if anybody which I don't know if anybody knows this off the top of their head. If was that an actress actually was that a legit accent or was she made that up for the show? Does it sound like a made up 
well, it, America it, and doing a British accent. It, it's kind not. Of thing. It's it's certainly not as bad as um, Dick Van Dyke <laughs> doing Cockney. Um, <laughs> but um, I think I think she's British. Jane Leaves. I think she is British. Um, oh, okay. So, uh, but but no, I I I could never place that accent until somebody told me or read that that was what it was meant to be. So it's wow. it's close enough. <laughs> All right. So I think our next uh, thing we want to cover is um, Carl has a question that came through about uh, travel kits, kits for travel, uh, what lenses, et cetera. So um, particularly good question. So you want to take that one, uh, Carl? Okay. So, uh, yeah, right. And I'll use this to kick off the theme for today, which is travel kits. And it was an email that we got back on May 17th from Jason Ilias. I hope I pronounced that right, E-L-I-A-S. And what he was talking about is um, how to put together a kit that has a film camera and a digital camera and some lenses that he could interchange between the two of them. And he didn't mention travel, but when I read it, it got me thinking about an upcoming trip where I plan to do that and where I normally do that. And, and it's when I go to Washington. And I travel to Washington probably four times a year. And usually I have a morning or an afternoon or maybe a couple of them to quickly you know, walk around for a couple of hours and shoot. And um, I've come up with a kit that seems to work perfectly. And, and it's, it's ready to go for, for next week. And, and, and what it is, is my, my Fuji XE2 because I'm, I'm needing to pack light. I, I have a Manfrotto um, travel bag that I carry my computer and work stuff in, and it has a pocket to hold camera equipment on the bottom. So the, um, the XE2 with a small lens on it, it's usually I put, um, and I have a Canon LTM um, 35 millimeter lens on it on a helicoid, a Yinon helicoid. And, um, and then I have my uh, Canon 4 SB with the um, Serenar 51.8 lens on it. And that almost is a complete kit. I, I, I probably—I mean, I actually was thinking while we're um, going through this other stuff that I don't need to take anything more than that because in the past, that's all I end up using, even though I take extra lenses. But there's plenty of space in my bag to pop in my super wide Hilliar, which will go on either one of them. And there's really space in the bag to throw a Jupiter three in there too. And um, with that, with that kit, I can do almost almost anything, street photography, um, photos of, of, so Washington doesn't have great cityscapes, you know, big skyscrapers like you have in Chicago. The elevation of the buildings must be constrained by some code. So you, it, it isn't a great place for doing the big wide cityscape. So I don't use that Voigtlander that much. But um, if there's a protest down by the White House, the Heliar is great because protesters will let you walk right up to them and they'll hold their sign up so you can see it and can get some good shots. Now, the only thing that might, um, and, and of course I've got hoods and I've got my light meter and I've got some extra rolls of film. Um, the SB might not go. It, it just, it depends. There's a, a, a new camera coming to me this week, um, a Leica um, 3A, which I got by this interesting uh, uh, tip from a friend uh, <laughs> that, that it was available, and uh, and he, he didn't buy it, so um, so that that's coming along, and um, that might and I might take that and, and just hope that it works and shoot a couple of rolls in a place that I don't go too often. So um, that's my little travel kit for um, DC, which is an, that's an easy one to plan. Now, a harder trip is going to be in August when we're going up to um, visit my family in Niagara Falls because there there's going to be an opportunity for some really cool city photography and 
Buffalo, which has old um, Art Deco style, very tall buildings, and uh, and it's a really nice place for a wide angle. There's there's the river, there's Niagara Falls, there's some marinas with sailboats, and then um, there's a wedding happening that we're going up there for. And so I haven't figured out what I'm going to do on that, although I think. What I'm going to do most likely is take a range of Nikkor lenses from 20 mil up to up to 50, and maybe borrow um, maybe borrow a, a zoom Fuji. Uh, not Fuji, a zoom Sony lens to stick on the Sony for the wedding. So the wedding, I'll, I, I probably won't use manual focus because my sister doesn't have a photographer. She's relying on people to take a bunch of photos and give them to her, and uh, that's probably the best bet. So I, I, I may do that. Um, so, so we'll see. So, you know, yeah, the nature of the kit depends on what you're doing. Going to a city for just a short period of time to me is the easiest one um, to pack a couple of light film and, and digital cameras. So that's what I have. No comments about the like a camera or anything. That's good. All right. I, I can't comment on that because, I, I you know. Um, you have to swear, right? You're, no, 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 okay. no. I, I, I mean, I, you know. It's part of my, uh, I, I give you these post-hypnotic suggestions, Carl, and you buy things. So I don't want yeah, I, okay. I can't, I can't go too deep into that one because I don't want to, you know, my, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin my next, next, uh, post-hypnotic suggestion, camera buying suggestion for you. Well, Johnny's been, re- Johnny has been really helpful. And, well, so has Simon. Um, <laughs> I bought the, Ju- I bought the Jupiter, I bought the Jupiter three because of a recommendation from Simon. And um, now the recommendation from Simon was that it's too sophisticated a lens for Carl. <laughs> and, and as a result, I had to buy it to, um, for that reason. And, but, um, but Johnny has put me on to LTM lenses, which are splendid. And, and Johnny I put think, me on to, I think you mean Ken Rockwell, right? I, cause Pam is going to hire a hitman and I would rather her yeah, hire a hitman to take out Ken Rockwell. than yeah, and, you, so. and you and Ray together, um, got me interested in a, a Fuji camera, which I think is fantastic for these little trips where I want to go lightweight. And you put me onto this 4SB, and then um, and you, and you, um, and you put me onto that, that Leica 3A, and, uh, and hopefully that'll be a, a good camera. And um, I'm glad that you're happy that I'm buying it and, and aren't going to again say that you're going to something slap me. And uh, so that's... So that's that's great. Uh, oh, and I have to say one, one last thing. And for Iman, um, I actually do like a, a Mirror One lens now. Okay, <laughs> I didn't like it on my Olympus. I didn't like it on the Sony or Fuji, but on the Sony, I think it's a fantastic lens. How how many copies of that lens have you owned now? Well, but I, you know what? I've owned a, a number of them, but some of them I bought in order to sell them for for a, a pretty substantial profit. So it's it's hard. I've I've had three that I bought that I thought it was going to keep and use. One with each camera. The other the others I've bought because I got a good price on them and sold them for more. Jo- Johnny, for the benefit of our listeners, do you want to let them know uh, a little bit about the Leica that uh, that Carl just bought in terms of its condition? Uh, I'm not sure I know which camera you're talking about. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you've seen it, haven't you? Oh yeah, I've yeah, seen I've, it. I've, I've, hey, I'm buying the camera. I'm buying the camera because Johnny held it in his hands and tested it or fired it off, I guess, a little bit. And I mean, when when Johnny handles a lens or a camera, the value goes up by fifty, sixty bucks. Just, just I mean that. that <laughs> 
it's personal care. You know, it has a lot of value to it. And um, no, if if he says it's good and it looks like crap, but it's a fantastic camera inside, then then I, then I believe it, and I expect it's, that it's going to work. Yeah, great. It, it, it's by far the most uh, beat up uh, Leica LTM camera I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, bra- brassing brassing doesn't begin to describe it when there's you know probably 20 grams fewer less metal in it than it started with um so um it's like an old bar of soap i mean and actually i kind of mean that in a good way it it, it's it you know every 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 bit of it has been worn uh rounded off with wear um and it has some initials on it which i also did a little research on to make sure you know didn't belong to like uh, Cartier Brisson or something back when it was at the shop, but yeah, it's a nice camera. I mean, I handled it. I would screw around with it, you know, all any time I had a free moment, I'd pull it off the shelf and you know wind it and fire it and take a look at it. And you know, it's it's a nice camera. And I yeah, Carl, um, you know, I, I I'll I'll try to be uh, have no hard feelings about the fact that you stole my f-ing camera. So you know, <laughs> I knew it. Okay, so. <laughs> So, so, um, and and you and who did you say it was um, service? Well, it 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 was it was it was actually bought by. You know, it's one of those things where I, there have been a few things at the shop where I'm like, I really I should really get that. I should really get that. No, nah, I don't need it. I I I'm not gonna. I don't need it. Somebody else should buy it. I'm not gonna get it. And then it sells, and I'm like, oh god damn, I should have bought that. You know, and it's funny. This is like the second or third thing where it was bought by a, a regular customer. So I know who bought it and I'm like, all right, that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean that camera was bought by a, a regular customer, um, who shoots a lot of, uh, film with, uh, screw mount stuff. As a matter of fact, I bought his, uh, my Canon P came from, uh, from this particular customer. So he he sold his Canon P to me, and then he bought this uh, this other camera um, that had been on the shelf for ages. I didn't get to sell it to him; somebody else sold it to him. But so he bought it. And I knew it went to him. And then the weirdest thing is, it I see a camera, uh, you know, I don't know, last week that or earlier this week on eBay. I'm like, boy, that camera looks familiar, <laughs> and um, it looked familiar for a reason. So I, you know, I started looking at. It, I'm like. No, it's got to be the same camera. It's got the initials on it because it has the initials scratched on it. So for for whatever reason, it got sold on and um, sold on to a um, seller that I I, I, will, I will leave the names of all the parties out of the conversation. Uh, but it got sold on to a a seller here in Chicago who uh, sells a lot of Leica stuff. And um, so any, anyway, I, I don't need to to go through the whole, the whole story, but let's just say I'm intimately familiar with this camera. <laughs> yeah. So it's quite, cool. I think it's kind of cool. I, I like the browsing on it. I looked up the serial number and it's 1938 camera. So who knows? I mean, maybe it was over in the war over in Europe. I don't, I don't know. I'll make up a story about it. So he, he just let's caveat this. Um, I'm going to put this on the record, uh, Carl. So so if you ever resell the camera, you you, right. you must you must not sell it to anyone but me. Okay. And you, you have to make sure it is not stolen or otherwise uh, disappears. You know, don't drop it in Lake Okeechobee or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and then I won't be angry at you anymore. 
Okay, and if I, I ever if I ever sell it, I'll, I'll sell it to you at a really fair price. Um, <laughs> what two hundred plus one hundred and fifty bucks extra for good care of the camera? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, should we should we move on? Um, I'll uh, just just going back to the original thing that started this 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 topic off uh, with uh, the yeah. email from from Jason. Um, he was who wanted to uh, use uh, two systems, um, a half frame and uh, uh, actually it was Olympus Pen for film and a Fuji for, uh, for for digital. And one of his his question was largely about um, a wide angle zoom. And uh, we've already had a conversation about this, and none of us really have got a huge, huge amount of experience with old, classic wide-angle zooms. He's already mentioned that uh, he he has um, the Minolta thirty-five to seventy f three point five, which is a great lens, um, but um, that's not it's not wide enough uh, for him. So he's, right. he's looking at things like the. Uh, Minolta 24 to 50, the Olympus 28 to 48, and the Vivitar Series One 24 to 48. And I've not tried any of those lenses, uh, but one that I used to use back in the day, and I thought it was a great lens back then. I've not tried it on digital, but it was it was a good lens at the time, and that was the Tamron uh, Tamron SP 24 to 48, which is a 3.5 to 3.8, and uh, I, I used to use that all the time uh, back on my contacts and Yoshika. And uh, that was a, a great lens. And I had a quick look on Pentax forums, and it's coming up as a very, very highly rated lens. So um, that might be another one to take a take a closer look at. But so going back onto uh, travel kit, um, I'm I'm going away for a, a day next week, and I was, and so I've started this this thought process off a little bit early about what I'm going to take with me because it, I usually start it a couple of days before. And then it continues until the, the, the night before I go. And at this point, I'm usually paralyzed in terms of helping Judith, my wife, uh, pack and work out whatever we're going to do, because I'm just thinking about what lenses I'm going to take with me. And um, and so it's you know, I'm going to be a little bit more organized this time because I've I've given it some thought. And, and I think that the lenses I'm going to take with me this time, at least, are going to be at least two of which are going to be lenses I picked up last week uh, because I like the look of them and I think it's going to be fun fun to use. Um, so going from the widest end, I'm going to start off with uh, a Canon FD 15mm f2.8 fisheye, uh, which I've got in front of me at the moment. And I, I just love the look of this lens. It's It's got a beautiful front element um, that's protected to some degree by a, a, by a built-in hood. Um, and because of the, the built-in hood, they've thought about, well, how about those people who are shooting black and white and things like that with filters and such? And it's got a built-in um, coloured filter system. So it, it, it works like some preset rings do where you've got a dial, a dial uh, and you, pre- you press the dial down and then you can turn it and and you can go from a skylight which is a which is the default setting so if you don't like a skylight well that's just tough you've that's that's what you've got uh, <laughs> and then you've got uh, a y3 so a yellow three uh, an orange one and a red one and that's it's quite good fun uh, when you put that onto a digital camera and, and and turn it and the world just turns you, you know 
as you might expect, yellow, orange, and uh, and, and red. So, uh, but that that's a that's a it's a it's a fun lens, and it's and it's got a lot of like it's a fish eye, and the and that distortion is really pronounced, uh, much more in the more than I think the, there's a twelve mil Samyang full frame uh, fish eye lens, which although it's fish eye, it corrects things a lot more. Um, which I think sort of takes something away from what what you want in a fisheye lens. I think a fisheye lens, you want extreme views and things like that. So, so I've had a little play with that, and it's that's that's a it's a good fun lens. Um, and next next lens up uh, is a lens that uh, I just seem to always have with me because it just takes up no space at all, and that's the uh, lens from a Minox Minox camera. And it's a Minox Color Minotaur. 35 millimeter f 2.8 so i think a, a, a 35 millimeter lens on full frame is a, is a great focal length just as a, a general lens um, it's a wide standard and it's you know it, it's i just find that a, it's a really useful focal length i think in a, a future podcast we'll we'll talk about 35 millimeter lenses uh, it's, it's actually been suggested that we should do and i think we, we will do at some point but i find 35 mil as a travel lens to be you know really good and this particular lens it just takes up so little space because it's it's been taken off a, a tiny camera to start with it's been uh, converted to uh, uh, sony e-mount and it just it just it just fits into the smallest compartment so you just forget you've got it so if if we were only allowed to take three three lenses with us i would say well i've got three lenses and that one as well but it doesn't really count because it's so small um so mm. so that's mm-hmm. a that's a that's a great little lens and it's it just great great photos as well i i, I love taking big photographs uh, stitch stitch shots of the, the, with a tiny little lens it's it, it's good nice. you know it's interesting that you mentioned um fisheye um i've had a couple of different fisheye lenses and and they've been good and i take them and i shoot them a couple of times and then that's it i don't really don't want to do it anymore but um you know these new seven artisans lenses i know you have a an f1.1 50 mil lens which you like quite like and and i have the um 7.5 millimeter fisheye and it's a really good lens um i'm selling it because i bought i was this is stupid i, I bought one with a dedicated uh, fuji mount and um I, I wish that it had a i wish that it had a, a sony mount or something more standard so that i could keep using it but but i'm letting it go but it's solid metal and the optics are just fantastic and it's like 150 bucks or less yeah, but that, that's a uh, crop. It's a crop lens, though, isn't it? So you, you wouldn't really. I don't be know able if they do... make it for full frame. I'm not sure. Some of those they don't make for full frame. That's a good point. Yeah, seven seven and a half mil. That's that's going to be a crop crop lens. So you wouldn't be able to do much with it on certainly on your full frame. I mean, yes, you could you could uh, crop it or go into APS-C mode. Uh, but uh, I wonder I wonder how that works. People have told me to do that before, and I've wondered. What would that look like as opposed to just sticking it on my Fuji camera in terms of the image quality? Well, it's it's you're just going to be using part of your sensor. Uh, it's as, it's as simple as that. So uh, um, you, you, you say what you you'll never get the seven and a half millimeter. Uh, angle of view, which I think on full frame is probably past 180 degrees, I would guess. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but it would still be an ex- extreme wide angle. But I, this 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 view of, of APS-C mode on 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 Sony just doesn't make any sense to me because I'd rather shoot and see the full vignette and then crop the image to yeah. the photograph. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. 
So otherwise, you you you, know, you could you could probably you could perhaps take a square format lens, a uh, square format shot, um, and that opportunity to to frame that square format isn't going to be there because you've had the top and the bottom of the the image cropped already before you. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, okay. I'll take take it take it in full and crop it after. I would, I would say if you're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Next, next lens on the list is a fifty millimeter or a standard lens, um, and I've this is the this is the one I'm not really sure where to, where to go with uh, because I, I could go with um, a, a sonar lens, I could go with my planar, I could go with um, possibly the uh, my nickel because I've, I'm probably going to take a tripod with me, and this is where I've. I've I've got a, I've got a, a Nikkor twenty four mil as well as a Carl Zeiss twenty five mil, and I've got the I've got my planar, and I've got an AIS Nikkor fifty mil one point four, um, and there are times where I want to use my, my Zeiss, but if I if I know that there's a possibility of doing some night images, I'm going to want to use the Nikkor uh, because it has the seven seven blade iris, so you get the, the you get far better starbursts because you get those fourteen points of light instead of six points of light as you do with a with a six blade so seven gives you 14 but six gives you six and um i feel if i'm going to do any night stuff i've got to take the nickel so that 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 annoys me something the it says there've been lots of conversations about perfect lenses and and that's the bit that stops the the zeiss planar being the perfect lens for me uh, because i can't well it just can't do night shots anywhere near as well as a nickel can do so a bit irritating there Mm. So, uh, but I might take a sonar. Who knows? I, I, I don't know. I might actually. I was thinking, perhaps, seeing I'm taking predominantly Canon lenses, um, I might take the fifty mil one point four LTM. Um, that seems seems like a sensible thing to do because I can put it on the helicoid and get some close ups as well. So that that's probably where I'll I'll go with that because I haven't really used that that lens too often. I know it's a favourite lens of Carl for his uh, bokeh shot, isn't it, Carl? Sure. I mean, well, if you took that, Simon, look, you could have the same mount for your Jupiter 3, a Jupiter 8. Um, you don't have a 20, a 30. You don't have a 35 LTM lens, do you? Uh, you need yeah, to have, yeah I've, got, I've got a Jupiter 12. No, no, but you don't have a, a, count. a Canon 35. No. no. Ah, okay. I've been thinking about that as, as a uh, alternative to uh, taking a set of, of, of Nikors, is to take um, LTM lenses. When I go up north, yeah, yeah. I, I, I take if I go out for a day trip, um, I tend to, and I want to carry a relatively small bag. Then LTM lenses, uh, I always take those because it's just yeah. easier, and they, and they fit in there. And yeah, you, yeah. you can take four four lenses in the in a relatively small bag, and they all do do a great job. So, yeah. uh, but uh, the, where they sometimes let me down, or at least the ones that I have, if I if I want to go for something sharper, then I find SLR lenses for me tend to be sharper than the LTM lens LTM lenses that I have, um, and sometimes I'm in I'm in more of a mood for sharpness than I am for overall look of a shot and and the rendering and 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 so on. Um, so. So that's the that's a standard lens probably sorted out with the with with the Canon fifty one point four LTM and then I'm going to want to take a longer lens and I think the the obvious one as of this week is this lens I've got in front of me and I've taken a few shots over the weekend and that's the Canon FD one three five F two which I've 
I'm, I'm really falling in love with this lens. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Um, as a lot of you'll know, I've got a, a Samyang 135 f2, which is easily one of the sharpest lenses I've ever used, and it's it, it's got a great ability to to separate your subject from the from the background but there's just something about the the samyang the way it's it's a heavy lens and it's the the focusing action on it is it's pretty uninspiring but you look at the photographs it, it produces you're there thinking okay well, i can put up with those two things because it gives it gives me a look that i can't really get with anything else so that's a good enough reason to have something in my view and as far as 135 is concerned generally speaking I, i'll either use that or i'll use my jupiter 11 um, but this 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 canon 135 f2 it's sort of fitting somewhere in between now because it's a much nicer lens to use than the samyang as in the the focus action is 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 far sweeter uh, it's smaller in the hand it's also a fair amount lighter as well um, one thing it isn't is as sharp it definitely isn't as sharp as the is the samyang but i mean i, I don't know if some of you may have seen the photograph i took of my my father on sunday in, uh, as i as i tend to do when he's having his breakfast with us um, and that was taken wide open and there's there's nothing at all wrong with the sharpness of that image the samyang would have been sharper i'm sure it would have been sharper you could have zoomed in much more and pixel peaked and whatever but if you're just looking at if you're taking that shot in the way that you wanted to do and you you don't need to crop it i think that the, the shot it took was 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 fantastic and 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 sometimes we can just get a little bit carried away with overall sharpness when it's the overall look of a shot and really if it, if it's if it's good enough if it looks if it looks right then it's right and it doesn't matter that it's not at the ultimate sharpness. The pictures that you've posted of your son running with the dog are fantastic. Um, yeah, the, the, the character, the color, the, the whole the whole deal. They're just they're they're beautiful shots. And and the shots of Flynn, the shot of your dad is fantastic. Um, even though you don't have that white thing aligned properly behind his head. <laughs> And, but um, <laughs> that was such a hard no, shot to take. Yeah, I was, I was, I was my head against I know, the, no, the no, I like that. that. <laughs> From that, what you've posted, that looks like a fantastic lens. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it, and it's, it's got fungus in it as well. Um, which it's it from what I've seen it hasn't got much fungus, but it does it does have fungus. So so the the value of that lens is 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 has gone down quite quite a bit just for the fact it's in there. But it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter, and it's it's now making a, a good case for. So I, I bought it along with a load of other gear, which purely is a a purchase to sell. And as what as as this happens many many times, it's something now I'm thinking. Well, perhaps that has got a place in my collection, and I'm I'm strongly beginning to think that there is because the the Samyang does something special. And yeah. it does something that this lens cannot do. Um, and the Jupiter, my Jupiter 11, 135 F4, again, is for me, it's a, it's a, it's a special lens. And, and now this, this, this Canon's come in, into my life now. And I'm thinking, yeah, there, there is, there is a place for this. Um, and perhaps it might even put some pressure on my, my Pentacon, uh, 135 2.8 Boca monster as they, uh, as they call it, because that's just not getting any use at all these days. And um, I can I can see this being a, effectively a, a a serious replacement for it. 
the fungus thing's interesting because I, I would never buy a lens that was listed as having fungus, but I have a couple and um, I don't feel stuck with them because one of them is a Canon FD 300 and it has some fungus in it, but it's a, it's a brilliant lens and it just sits up in a windowsill all the time. And then um, once in a while I'll have an opportunity where I'll want to go out and I don't shoot birds that often, but I, I have on occasion and uh, taking a picture of a seagull or something like that <laughs> and <laughs> the easiest bird to shoot. And, but, and, uh, and, you know, I, I bought another um, Canon FL 51.4 a couple of weeks ago. Cause I thought I want to get another one of those cause the prices keep going up and up and up. And I want to, I want to buy a, I'm going to buy a few of them maybe. And the one that I got had had fungus in it. And um, so the seller told me to just keep it with, from Japan and he refunded all of the money. So now I have it and I shot it yesterday and it's as good as my pristine, perfectly clean one. It doesn't affect the image at all because the fungus is really faint and it's on one of the front elements. And so it's going to join the other lens up in the windowsill. I'm not ever going to sell it to anyone. I'll just use it. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the the fungus that's on this as far I've not shone a light through it yet, but the the fungus that, that's visible is it's on the edge of the front element, so it's doing almost nothing. So that's me. Um, so how about you, Johnny? <laughs> um, what, what, uh, tell us about your travel kit. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was just having a look in the photography of the classic lenses group because I had a memory that I had posted my gear list the last time I traveled, which was in 2015. Um, I'm looking at the list now, and it's interesting because I know I, re I know what I actually used that I took with me um, and what I didn't use, and I know what I would take and not take now. Um, so if we have a minute, I can read this ridiculous list of stuff that I took. Yeah, and then great. I can, yeah, okay. Um, so, I, and I think I took most of this. There might have been a couple of things I left out at the last minute. Matter of fact, I know there are, and I'll, I'll, I'll just mention what I took and what I didn't as I go through the list. So, cameras I took were the, um, the Fuji XE2, uh, the Fuji X100S, uh, the Olympus Pen FT, and the Polaroid 195 cameras. Um, and I should preface by saying, that I did fly one way on this trip and then the rest of it was a driving trip. So I knew that once I had all this gear um, hauled with me, I wouldn't have to carry every single piece of it the whole time. Um, so that helped a little bit in my decision-making. I, I wouldn't have taken as much had I been, you know, gonna knowing I was going to lug it all at every moment, which <laughs> actually I kind of did anyway, but beside the point. So, um, so those are the cameras I took, the lenses I took... <laughs> were the uh, 15 millimeter Voigtlander Super White Heliar, uh, the 25 millimeter f2.8 uh, for the Pen F, the 41.8, I'm uh, sorry, 41.4 for the Pen F, um, the 50 millimeter f1.4 SMC Tacomar, and the 105 2.8 Super Tacomar. Um, actually, I think that I did not bring the 105 Super Tac, and I brought the a uh, 100 millimeter pen f lens i i'm positive i did that and then additional lenses i have listed here that i i think i was considering bringing uh were the 35 f2 woolen sack fast x raptor which i have converted to m42 uh the 50 millimeter 1.5 jupiter 3 which i think i did bring because it was just so small, why not bring it? Um, I don't know that I brought the Wallen sack. I think I might have left it at home. The 58 1.9 Prima Plan didn't bring it. And the 77 F7.7 um, 
Kodak Vest Pocket meniscus lens, which I've adapted also. I think I brought that one in as well because it's so small. I think I might have shot it once or twice. Um, so of all the things that I brought, <laughs> what I actually ended up uh, using the most um, was the 15 millimeter Heliar, uh, the 41.4 for the Penf, um, and I believe the 100 millimeter Penf. So I kind of swapped those between the Fuji XC2 and the Olympus Penf film camera. And I did do quite a bit with the Polaroid 195. I shot some, you know, Polaroid instant photos. Um, and shot a bit with the Fuji X100S. That's you know my go-to snapshot camera. Um, so that one was was definitely handy as well. So that's all the stuff I brought. Which I look at this list now and I'm like, oh my god. Um, so I guess if I was if I was traveling now, um, even the same trip, or let's say if I was, I, let's assume a, a trip where I guess flying somewhere and then flying flying back or whatever i i would bring less stuff um i would bring i would bring the x100s again because it's such a great snapshot camera um i would bring a bessa l with a 15 millimeter uh voigtlander super wide on it as a dedicated setup i'd bring a um canon 4sb with a 35 millimeter setup on it and i'd probably bring i don't know if i would bring a third camera with a 50. I, I might bring um, a Canon P with a 50 millimeter one, uh, 1.8 Canon lens on it. Um, and I guess that's it. I think that's all I'd take. If I was going on a trip where I could manage to take the Polaroid again, I'd probably do that. But it's to me, it's too much to, to deal with unless I've got an easy way to store the prints in the field. So I'd probably leave that at home. So I'd probably be the, the X100S the Canon 4SB and maybe the Canon P and then a few lenses. They're all so small that I could bring, I figure four or five lenses with no problem. Um, and I think that'd be it. It's funny what we bring compared to what we use because yeah. um, the last time I was in Washington was in March and the weather wasn't great. So it was raining and I was out under an umbrella shooting a good amount, but I took I didn't take film that time. Um, I took only the Fuji XE2, and I took four lenses, and only one lens stayed on the camera the entire time, the 35 2.8 Canon LTM. Yeah. And I did everything with it, and I made it work for everything. That's great. And, um, and, I, and I was happy with the shots that I got. I think there's something to be said that the 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 more lenses, or at least the more experience you, we have with lenses, it makes that selection a lot easier i think if it, yeah. if this was two years ago when i, I still had you know, a fair amount of uh, lenses it would have it would have crucified me to you know pick four lenses to to take with me on a, on a short break i'd have to just find a way of taking a bigger bag and then and take more than one version of a 50 millimeter lens because i'm thinking well you know i want to do a helios for this and a planar for that and and as as Carl just said there, when you actually get out there, you, you tend to just, well, I certainly I've had that experience where I, I tend to just put one or maybe two lenses on and I just I just can't be bothered to actually go in there and, and ch keep on changing the lens and run the risk of adding, you know, putting some more dust on my sensor. And if anybody with a, a Sony camera will know that you know, they, they are dust magnets. So change, changing lenses is not to be taken lightly sometimes in the field. Exactly. 
Exactly. Oh. And, I, and, and I, a couple, I thought of one additional thing, and that is um, if we go on a, a short trip that's a family vacation kind of thing, changing out prime lenses is not a desirable thing to do. And so I'm seriously thinking about that Minolta zoom as an option to have if, 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 if it's a good quality lens for just taking some vacation photos. And then, um, and then the other thing that I was going to say was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still concerned about, do I have a really good wide angle lens for when we go up North, because I want to go to Buffalo and take some cool images of the old buildings and things they have there. And I know that if I took the XE2 and the super wide Hilliar, I could get fantastic, stunning images. And um, I'm still trying to convince myself that a 24 Nikkor on the Sony is equally good. I got to do a little more of that. I don't have those kind of buildings to shoot around here to make that kind of comparison. That, that Minolta lens you mentioned, is that the 35 to 70 f, f 3.5? Yep. Yeah. I mean, and that's, 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 that's the interesting thing. There are three of us there who have just gone through the lenses that we're going to take, and, and none of us thought about taking a zoom lens until you just no. mentioned it there. <laughs> right. Um, and... And this this goes back to uh, last week's conversation, really, about, and about not getting hung up over what you're using. And uh, it, it, there were times out there when actually we should be just concentrating on taking photographs, and not worry too much about what we're using, as long as it's appropriate for for yes. what we're using. And generally for travel photography, uh, you know, something like that that Minolta or many other zoom lenses, um, they, they they they're great and. It's really just we just get a little bit too obsessive and want to go pixel peeping and, and things like that. Where you know we've all seen great shots with those with well with many zoom lenses. Yeah, we just just keep on avoiding them. Yeah, yeah. I would avoid them. <laughs> I I I wouldn't use it in in my daily shooting and the way I shoot when I'm away from home is no different. So I I mean I would I would not even consider it because I don't shoot in a fundamentally different way because I'm traveling. So I don't ever use zoom lenses when I'm not traveling. So therefore I wouldn't yeah. take one, you know, I, I, I mean, I just would bring, and I've always done this. I would just bring, you know, a body with a wider lens and a body with a more normal lens. I'd rather just carry two cameras, two primes. It's just, to me, that's way more flexible setup than having yep. a, you know, a one do it all slow zoom lens. I just, I don't know. Eh, I just don't want to carry a zoom yeah. lens. <laughs> I suppose that's another advantage of taking LTM lenses as well, because, you can take three LTM lenses and still have less weight than carrying one zoom lens. Yeah, they're tiny. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think we're at a point where we're going to wrap things up now. Um, so, um, Johnny, how can people follow you on social media outlets? All right. Um, you can find me uh, primarily on Instagram. Um, I'm at System Photography on Instagram. I try to post there pretty much every day. Um, of course, I'll, find me over in the uh, Photography with Classic Lenses uh, Facebook group as well. And I'm also in, uh, uh, you'll find me most days at Central Camera Company in Chicago at the sales, camera sales cover. And Carl? On the Classic Photography um <laughs> photography with classic lenses facebook page is the primary place um i, I am posting on instagram and it's uh, carl havens uh, all lowercase with an underscore in between and then uh, Flickr. it's just my name carl havens and i'm in a few places i'm on instagram as simon forster photographic i'm on Flickr as simon forster i've 
and I'm starting to get back into Twitter again now. Um, so uh, you can find me under Simon4, that's S-I-M-O-N-F-O-R, one word, Simon4. So I'm on, the, on, on Twitter. And I have an eBay shop if you're after any K&F adapters or... Uh, uh, some quality used lenses and things like that then you can do a seller search for It's Fozzy and I also have a website uh, which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk um, it'd be great if you could get in touch with us we've had some great correspondence uh, to our email address which is Johnny uh, the email address is <laughs> hold on while I find it <laughs> it's, cl- it's classiclenses at gmail.com which as we've proven this morning i can't log into um but simon can so simon will simon will log into it and he will share those questions with all of us absolutely and uh, so i hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast and it'd be great if you can join us again next week goodbye hey simon yes i almost i almost forgot i got a shout out oh um yes yeah i I have a shout out uh this week at the shop uh I talked to, and I, I hope I'm going to do this right. Tell me if I get your name right. Uh, Yovanya Minez, who is a Chicago photographer, um, who uh, follows us, I think, primarily on uh, Instagram. And his Instagram is is really great. Um, it's I'll, I'll spell out his Instagram so you can find him. Um, he is at uh, J-O-V-A-N-2-J. Uh, and he has a, a, a lot of really great shots from here in Chicago of just stuff around town so take a look at his instagram really nice page had a nice uh nice chat about uh you know 105 tacomars actually we got a couple at the shop shop an older one and a newer one so we talked about those and we talked about nikon series e lenses so that was a fun chat it was good to meet you and um yeah stop in and say hi again soon I guess I'm going to have to do a shout out now because I've just remembered one that I was planning to do because I forgot we were going to do this uh, shout out. So uh, <laughs> so uh, now's as good a time as any. And I met somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago at Photographica in London, which we didn't actually talk about last week, but that was what it, that was what I was doing two weeks ago, um, which is the largest used camera fair in in britain it's an annual thing and it was massive it was a room a a very large room very busy and full of cameras and lenses and and so on and uh, it was it was a great day and i met uh, somebody there um it's one of the one of those moments where you you don't see the person you just see what what's around the person's neck and then eventually you look up and see that it's attached to a body um (laughs) because there was a a canon 7sz with um, with a dream lens on it, ah. so, so 50, 50 millimeter oh. 0.95, and it was just looking beautiful. The the lights were shining off it. You know, it was. It, I think it had starbursts around it and fairy dust and uh, all all the things that go with that that lens. And, <laughs> uh, and the uh, I don't I don't actually know the the, the real name of of uh, the person I'm talking about here, but it goes on on the Instagram by the name of Legacy Shooter. That's Legacy underscore Shooter. And he's well worth taking a look at his, his feed because he does some absolutely beautiful photography. And uh, in particular, they, it's, a, it's a case of, this is somebody that walks around with, with this piece of jewelry on, but he knows how to use it, which is which is fantastic, really, because that's, 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 that's what you want to see. So, yeah, okay. Uh, so do, do check him out. And uh, have, you, have you got anything, anyone, Carl? Yeah, so this isn't a shout out to a person, but I just want to say this week I finally started to listen to the Sunny 16 podcast and they're 
brilliant. No, I hadn't listened to them before. <laughs> and um, I, I listened to the one with uh, Amish as the, um, or Hamish as the um, guest, and I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. And so then I listened to a couple more, and, and those um, chaps have, have it really really have it down as it was it's really enjoyable and i've got something new to listen to now while i'm while i'm driving on my many road trips so you haven't got to listen to reruns of this anymore now i do that too but um i i really i really like i really enjoy that one too it's fantastic all right so i gotta i gotta do a, a one more shout out then because <laughs> it because it's uh, it's a podcast so i want to say hi to the guys at the negative positives podcast um there's a, 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 a they, they do some really interesting stuff. They have some really, really great conversations over there. And I did not know it, but I had met um, back in, I don't know, December. I met Andre Dominguez, who's one of the one of the guys over there in the podcast. And he actually bought a he bought a nice uh, like a screw mount from the shop. So I, I met him. We had a long conversation about that camera. Um, turns out it needed a, a shutter, so we we actually replaced the. He got a brand new shutter from Dag and that camera, so he's got this really nice like a three F that he got at the shop. But anyway, he he he's um he's on that podcast, um, and they actually had one of their folks was in in the shop um, was in Central, and I think I I saw him in there and didn't realize he was uh, part of this group. But uh, William Lehman was in the shop just the other day, and I I know that he bought some film and I think some darkroom uh, stuff as well. So, so yeah, they kind of, it's weird. It kind of bumped into them, uh, online this week. And then they had, um, some, you know, some chatting about central camera. So it's kind of this big full circle with the negative positives podcast this week. That was fun to see. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll round it off again. So thanks for listening and we'll hopefully you'll be back with us next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Gaza commented on on my photos, and um, it's a better compliment than you guys gave me. You didn't give a compliment. Gaza said, "Good beginnings," <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so, and and that's and that's like we're just that, wonderful now in the context was, of, the, of all this. Yeah, yeah, but I in in, Ga- in Gazer's language, that means well, well done for turning your your, your uh, camera on. <laughs> turning, you know? Wow, you turned it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but so I wasn't knowing what to think about that, but now after talking to the two of you, I'm going to take that as a really positive compliment. <laughs>